Hello and welcome to episode 72 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. For those of you who are listening for the first time, my name is Julian Carl and I'm the CEO and the co-founder of Synergen Group. I'm passionate about all things leadership and management. So passionate, in fact, that I decided to start a podcast about it. And here we are in season two, and my purpose for the podcast remains the same, to raise the standard of leadership. In today's show, I speak with Jo Burston, who is one of Australia's most successful female entrepreneurs. She has launched six businesses, the standout being Job Capital, which went from zero to $40 million turnover in five years. And this has kept her on the list of Australia's top 30 female entrepreneurs since 2013. Jo has worked in partnership with a Prime Minister and Cabinet, an office for women, as well as global brands such as Microsoft, Google, Ernst & Young, PricewaterhouseCoopers and Zero. Her most recent launch is a startup business which runs entrepreneurial learning and action programs for school-aged children, both in curriculum and as school holiday programs in every state and territory in Australia. Joe is passionate about the idea that you can't be what you can't see and uses these programs, as well as her globally recognised social impact business, Inspiring Rare Birds, to inspire, support and educate entrepreneurs with the goal of giving every woman the opportunity to be an entrepreneur by choice. Now, during the course of the conversation, we speak about all things mentoring, which is a passion that we both share. I start by asking Jo about what her definition of mentoring is and why she believes it is so important. We speak about some of the success stories she's seen as a result of mentoring programs. And we also take some time to discuss the skills someone needs if they want to be a mentor. And we finish off the interview by asking Jo who inspires her. So keep listening, and as always, we'd really like to hear your thoughts about the interview with Joe Burston, founder and MD of Job Capital and Inspiring Rare Birds. Happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian returns in 2019 with weekly conversations with leaders and authors from Australia and around the world, giving you the opportunity to share in their journey and learn from their expertise and knowledge. Julian also shares some of the tools and techniques he uses as a leader, mentor and facilitator, helping you to build your leadership capability and improve your confidence as a leader. Well, welcome, Joe, to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time to be a part of it. So that the listeners have some context, can you share a little bit about you and who you are? Sure. Um, Joe Burston, I'm the CEO and founder of a few companies, but the three operational businesses I hold today is Job Capital, which is an outsourced payroll, salary packaging and migration as in visas company. That business I started in 2012. Uh, four years ago, I started Inspiring Rare Birds, which is a global organization and community of almost 60,000 women who we provide tools and resources and programs to to grow themselves and grow their businesses. I also have a company called the Phrenesis Education and Entrepreneur Academy and that's an organization that where I've developed a program to take the learning of entrepreneurship into school curriculum and in classrooms. Wow. So you're, you're very busy by the same. You're trying to run three organisations. Well, busy is an interesting word. I like to call it effective. <laughs> <laughs> and to be able to do what I do, I am very effective and, of course, uh, very mindful of my time and very 
disciplined. Yeah, I, I imagine that you need to be because three very different types of businesses as well. Yeah, the first business is quite standalone and Job Capital was a fast growth company and it started in 2006 and I grew that to about a $40 million business in the first five years of its life and that was with 12 people. So um, understanding how to scale businesses is what I do really well and that kind of runs itself. It's got a great team, a great executive team that runs that business and I spend probably about 30% of my time in that organisation. The other two organisations are social impact companies. So we're really taking a different lens and looking at ways that we can affect future outcomes in the employment, entrepreneur and leadership space through the lens of young people and through the lens of how we can support women doing that. So they're very, very different types of businesses and I do have to change my take my capitalistic hat off and put my socialist hat on when I switch between thinking, although both of them and all of them are highly commercial. So what was it that caused you to decide to sort of go into that social impact side of things? This is a great story. In 2012, I was the recipient of the PSC Foundation Award Dr. Trevor Pearcy was the first computer scientist in Australia to build a, um, a hard or mainframe computer. He was also the first computer scientist to create music out of a computer, and that was way before you got your iPod in the late, probably early early two thousands. And that award was to recognise my contribution to technology and community mid career of my life. And I was standing in. Parliament House in Macquarie Street and looking out to this amazing sea of faces, thinking about my acceptance speech. And I noticed just there wasn't that many women in the room. Um, there was lots of academics and government people and industry and other entrepreneurs there, but not that many women in the room. I thought, this is really interesting. This is, a, this is an award about entrepreneurship and innovation and technology. Where, where are the chicks kind of thing? Um, so I took a film crew to my old high school, Pitney Point High School, and my primary school, Reesby South Public School, where I grew up. And I got the permission from the Department of Education to film about 30 girls between the ages of 8 and 17 and talk to them about, you know, who they wanted to become as they grew, what their ambitions were. And I wanted to get it from a source. I wanted to find out what was in their heads and what the scripts were in their heads and, you know, what, what they see around them. And one of the questions I asked them was, what is an entrepreneur? And every single one of those girls told me that it was a man. It's a man in business or a man that has a business or a man that does business of some format. And some of them actually didn't know what it was at all. And that was really the aha moment for me to look at the fact that these girls um, can only become what they can see and for them to see entrepreneurship as a valid career choice or something for them to try they have to have role models they have to see other women who they can relate to doing exciting things in entrepreneurship and in business so rare birds was founded off the back of that whole experience well that must have been quite confronting when they they all said to you oh it's a man in a suit or it's a man that does business not confronting, it was a truth. Uh, it was not right or wrong. It was actually 
what I was looking for, the source of the truth. And it all it did was made me realise that there just wasn't enough role models for these young women to aspire to or to think about their own futures and their own future careers and see ordinary women doing very extraordinary things that they could relate to. And to me as an entrepreneur, that means that there's a hole in the market that needs to be filled. So when we spoke about you appearing on the show, we decided that or we came to my uh, front of centre that uh, we both have a very strong mutual passion for mentoring. And so that's sort of the, the theme of today. So I'd like to start off with what's your definition of mentoring? My definition of mentoring is going on a journey with an individual that has already walked the pathway that I'm about to walk through. So someone who has tacit knowledge, experience and has done the hard yards as well as probably celebrated the journey that I'm about to start. A mentor for me is also someone that looks at me holistically and not just from a business lens or a business perspective. I think that's a business coach. A mentor provides experiences and shares their experiences versus giving advice. And one of the questions I often get is, what's the difference between mentoring and coaching? What are your thoughts on that? Probably two delineations that separate the functions. The first one is that you generally pay a business coach to be in your life. You generally don't pay a mentor to be in your life. The second thing is a business coach will set up specific goals and specific areas of focus for you to improve your business, whereas a mentor will look at you as a person, your life, and how you're operating at your capacity so that therefore your business can do the same thing. So it really is a bigger approach to the person versus just the numbers and the mechanics of the organisation. How was it that you came across uh, your passion for mentoring? Was there, a, was there something that happened? Is there a story behind that? There is. When I first started Job Capital, the very first person I pitched the business idea to was a serial entrepreneur in Melbourne. And at the time I was working for another company and I was the managing director of that other company and the, and it had some similar services, but not the same as what I do now. And he simply said to me over a meeting um, where I was supposed to be pitching the services of the business I was working for, what would you do if you weren't working for that company? And this guy also had a headhunting business, so I'm sure he was sort of feeling me out as well. And I said, well, I'd actually run my own business and this is, what, this is how I would do it. This is what I would do. This is the business model I'd have. This is the financial model I'd have. This is how I'd make it sustainable. This is how I'd grow it, et cetera. And he was so impressed with what I talked about. Within six weeks, I'd resigned from my job. He became my first investor, became my business partner and became my mentor. And uh, to this day, he's still my mentor, and that's 12 years down the track. Wow. That's, uh, that, so how did you find him? Did you just sort of contact him out of the blue? Did you have some sort of connection to him? No, no. I was introduced to him to actually sell the services of the company I was working for to him, so to, to make him an acquisition as a client, a new client. So it wasn't the way the conversation went and I didn't actually talk too much about the services of the business when he asked me that question. 
But previous to that, I had asked the company I was working for to think about giving me equity and it was a straight out no. So I knew that there'd be a point in time that I would probably not be at that organisation. This happened to be a sliding doors moment for me. So um, finding, I think we found each other is probably the right way to to say it. Um, he became my mentor because he became my business partner and he was already 17 years my senior in business and had already done quite a number of startups and had a number of exits, both um, trade sales and IPOs and mergers and acquisitions. So I was sort of really sitting in a position where I thought, you know, if I'm going to make this successful, I've got exactly the right person in my corner punching with me. Mm. That must have been a great, great feeling knowing that you had this person, had that depth of experience. It was incredible. I was so lucky. And it is one of those moments in time in your life where I look back now and think, how did that happen? That's just, it wasn't planned. It wasn't, you know, something I tried to seek. It just fell into my lap. And maybe that's got something to do with timing. I was, I was ready for a career change anyway. Yeah, right. Often when I'm out there talking about uh, the programs we, we run, one of the questions I get is, why is mentoring so important? So um, I'm curious about your views on why it's such an important part of development. I think, and, and to give some textual, contextual background, Inspiring Rare Birds runs a mentoring program. It's a 12-month program where the mentor and mentee spend a minimum of two hours together each month. We have a fully digitised platform that collects the demographic and technical capabilities of each of those individuals and an algorithm that matches them very similar to a dating site, which sounds a bit crude, but it kind of works like that. (laughs) And we have one interviews with each of the individuals to work out then who their best match would be. I developed that program because... It's really hard for people to understand where to find a mentor, how to find someone that really suits the challenges that they're facing, and then how to initiate the conversation so that the mentoring relationship becomes really high quality. And we now have over 1,300 participants in that program, and We've been running it for just about two, nearly three years now and extended it into corporate. So we're now mentoring both men and women in a, in a corporate environment that have been identified as emerging leaders and um, emerging talent and, of course, women who are entrepreneurs and running their own businesses. The value of it is in the data and the data that we're collecting, we complete surveys on all of our cohorts once every three months, so three, six, nine, 12, and 15 months into the program, so three months after they complete to see where they're at. And we take data about growth. We look at the the changes in their business confidence. We look at changes in revenue, profitability, the number of employees they've they've hired, um, new markets, new products, expansion, and, and there's probably about 15 questions that they go through. In the, one of the biggest cohorts that we ran, which was in 2017-18, we were funded by the Prime Minister's Office and Cabinet and the Office for Women to provide scholarships for 100 
marginal demographic women across Australia to provide this program to. So those women were Indigenous, Torres Strait Island, migrant, refugee, low socioeconomic background, um, disabled, regional, rural and remote. So really across every corner of this country. And the data that we received back after they completed their 12 months was phenomenal. And that was that over 90% of those women stated that without that program, they personally and their businesses wouldn't be where they are today. And over 85% of them had increases in profitability in the number of employees or the expansion of products or regions for where they worked. So what comes out of it is this individual is receiving unique knowledge that is specifically provided at goodwill for no other reason than to watch another person succeed. And when that synergy works really, really well, then there's going to be amazing positive outcomes. More to it, that when we go through really hard times in business, and I've been there a 100 times or more, I need somebody in my corner that really understands my business and really understands me as an operator, my personality type, how I react to stress, how I react under pressure, and what I need when things are really hard and I'm up against the ropes. So a mentor is the person that can provide that emotional, psychological and business support all in one place. That's a pretty impressive statistics there around the, the 90% and the 85%. That means you, you've, you've had a really lasting impact on those people that had those scholarships. Absolutely we have. And the successes that we've been able to witness and share beyond the program have also been quite incredible. You know, women that would previously be, you know, too afraid to talk about their business are now winning business awards um, you know, they're becoming role models in their own right, in their, in their communities and in their regions. And all we've been able to do, which is such a privilege, is be the platform and the enabler for that to happen. Of course, you can imagine a really high touch. There's a lot of com- communication that has to occur. And, you know, this, we have to create an environment and an expectation of high levels of self-accountability and high levels of trust and high levels of respect and very high levels of confidentiality for it to work. So we put enormous amounts of energy and time into setting the relationships up to succeed and then nurturing them as they do go along their journey. And I think that's probably why a lot of the time mentoring relationships fail because there's no kind of framework where where it encourages the ball to keep bouncing forward Mm. Uh, are there any sort of really particular success stories that sort of stand out to you over your sort of during your experiences of mentoring oh well so we provided i haven't got any off the top of my head but we provided the office of women about 12 case studies And they were all of women who had had significant growth during that 12-month period. But we've had women that have gone on to feature in newspaper articles, in the media, who have um, created um, brand, personal brand awareness now that they never had before, that have um, 
had new partnerships formed that they didn't have before. And the list goes on and on and on. And this is only the stuff that we see. So you can imagine what we don't see as well. Um, but I've, I've got some absolutely fabulous case studies I can send to you if, you like, if you'd like to see them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And maybe we can attach one or two to the show notes for the episode because I think that when people see uh, success, they, 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 they get more of a sense of the reality of, of the program. Yeah, I think when you look at someone's face as well and, you know, this, this woman who looks very ordinary, and I say it with the most generous heart, but they look, they're ordinary women that are doing extraordinary things. That's when a viewer or listener looks at that person and goes, oh, wow, I, if she can, I can do that. I, 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 that that'll, motivate, that'll motivate me to do something about this in my own business. How do people go about finding a mentor? Have you got any particular advice about what they should do if they're, if they're thinking about you know, going out and engaging a mentor? How should they do it? I think there's a few rules of engagement and obviously the first one is to go to our website and we'll find one for you. It's inspiringrarebirds.com. But if you're looking externally of that, and some people have multiple mentors, you know, it might just not be one person, it could be several. I think the first thing is to identify people that you believe would be able to help you. That can be very difficult because often an entrepreneur or business leader doesn't see the real problems. They don't actually see what we might see. You know, you you talk about X as being the major challenge in your life, but once we interview the person, we find out it's actually Z and Y. It's not X at all. That's just a symptom of something bigger. So I guess it's trying to identify truthfully and self-reflectively what is the real challenge that I'm facing. And the best way to work that out is what what keeps me awake at night. Why, Why am I not sleeping? Then you've got to match or find a mentor that you think is ahead of you in your game, but not too far ahead of you. So, you know, we wouldn't put a startup with, you know, an industry veteran of 30 years. We might find someone who's further down the journey, but not at that global scale. It's up to the individual to be proactive. Um, You know, entrepreneurs hustle and so do business people. And you have to be confident in your ask. And it's, You'll be surprised how many people say or how few people say no if they're asked. But the biggest thing is showing up. So once you have made an agreement to work together and you've set the stage for that, it's actually showing up because the mentor doesn't have to do this. They're not obligated to give you their time or their experience or their knowledge or their energy, but you are obligated to give yours and you are obligated to show up when it suits them and how it suits them. So when I first started my relationship with my mentor, I worked on his time. I didn't work on what suited me. If, I, if he was in Hong Kong and he could only speak at 2 o'clock in the morning and I had a tragedy going on, then I would call him at 2 o'clock in the morning because that was convenient to him. So it was about respecting the service that he was providing for me at no cost. We run mentoring programs with our client base and one of the, the questions we get asked is uh, the differences between organisations that want to run an internal mentoring program and the value of having an external uh, mentor involved. And I've seen a number of organisations with the best of intentions try to do it internally and, and the programs haven't been that successful. What are your sort of... What's your view there and when organisations are looking to do 
uh, a, a sort of almost a, a company-wide program? Yeah, Redbirds runs mentoring programs for corporate clients. Um, they are ASX companies, they're top-tier accounting, banking organisations. They're in media, mining resources, construction engineering companies. What generally happens, so we sit on the outside as an impartial supplier of this service. It's our role to ensure success for the individual partnerships and then for the business overall. And success is really means really good information and really good data. Where companies struggle with this internally is predominantly for three reasons. The first reason is that mentors are selected to be partnered with mentees who are actually not right for the mentee or they're just in line from a um, management perspective or a hierarchical perspective. So... You're a level above me, so you'll be my mentor. When in fact, that person that becomes the mentor may not even A, want to do it, <laughs> B, know, B, know how to do it, and C, have really any interest in it. And if there doesn't, if there's not this, you know, proper matching process, then it's impossible for the mentee to gain value and as a result there could be a creation of animosity in the relationship or an effect on the mentee when it comes to their um, financial review period. I think secondly uh, there's a lot of movement in corporate so people are changing positions and I've seen it time and time again with programs that started but never finished because the person who was 110% committed to making it work for the business has now moved to a different role or has moved to a different department or has left the business altogether. So all of that wonderful IP and knowledge is stored in that person's head and doesn't move forward. And the third thing is that I don't think within an organisation, um, 100% of the time, it's, I think it's a small percent of the time, you can truly have an unbiased, confidential um, relationship between people that work together. Yeah. Do you, do you think organisations underestimate the time commitment that the mentor needs to give to the mentee? I think they don't. Uh, I think that it's about quality versus time. So ours is two hours a month for 12 months. But that could be broken up into 15 minutes twice a week or half an hour once a week or, you know, it can be broken up to It doesn't need to be a sit down for two hours. So I think it's about the agility and the flexibility of the mentor and the mentee working together to make sure time happens. And, you know, I didn't have time is the greatest excuse on the planet. <laughs> so if it's something that both parties are committed to and that the and they're prepared for it well. So we prepare the mentee and the mentee for their journey very well in advance, set all the expectations up front, tell them if it can go wrong, how it's going to go wrong, what to do if it does go wrong. So we're asking them then to show up and to show up means respect and commitment to each other. And if those if those things are set up front the right way, the time shouldn't be a factor. I have a pretty strong view that the most effective mentoring programs, whether they be internal or external to an organization, are ones that are what I call formal. So there's a structure behind it. They're not just, you know, let's catch up for a coffee whenever. 
Well, yeah. Would you agree? What are your thoughts there? What have you seen go wrong when people uh, just have sort of informal mentoring relationships? I've seen both and I've had both. and I've been a mentor in both and I've been a mentee in both scenarios. So when it has been more informal, um, I've been with a mentor that is very focused on outcome. So we didn't lose momentum and we didn't lose focus. And, you know, as a at the time when I started Job Capital, being the only person in the business and wearing all the hats, it was a very, very lonely place for me. So that informality kind of worked because I would be calling, I could be calling three times a day or messaging you know, at 11 o'clock at night. So it wasn't set up to be a time where we had to talk each week. You know, moving forward now, we do probably catch up a couple of times a month and it's, you know, it's a couple of hours when we do and it's it's quite social as well. Um, but I think in a formal program, um, the mentee has a greater sense of accountability and a greater sense of value around the program. So the commitment level tends to be higher than if, it's not formalised. And for the business to get a real outcome, it has to be structured because if you can't measure the experiences and growth that the mentee is going through, how do you know how that's going to impact the business in the future? So the formality for us with working with corporates, I love it because we get to you know, look at all this data and all this information that comes in and have this pleasure of sending it back to the people that have signed these programs off with us, these leaders who have taken these initiatives to do great things for their people and show them it's been successful. And I don't think you can prove that success rate um, without some sort of formal structure. So I'm curious about the essential skills that you believe a mentor should have because I think some leaders would want to be or might think they might be good mentors, but in practice may not be. So I'd like to explore what do you think the essential skills are? Listening skills, number one. Uh, seek to understand. Let the person talk. Let them really talk out what's going on in their head and make no assumptions. Listen to all the information before responding and then respond by relating it to your own experiences, not with advice. I see a lot of advice given, and when I hear advice given, there is no repercussion for the person giving the advice if it turns out bad. When you share an experience, you are sharing something that happened in your own journey, how you handled it, what went right, what didn't go so well, and what you might do differently next time. And... There's no connection with outcome for the, for, the, for the mentee. That means that I could share a story with my mentee about a disaster and how I got out of it. They might need that information today, but they might need it in 12 months' time and they can start to pick and pack some of the ways that I managed certain circumstances and situations. I think the other thing is to be really compassionate and very deeply empathetic but be also firm and fair. How many mentees do you have personally? Uh, I have two at the moment. I have, a, I have a guy and a woman. 
Okay. And and how do you find having two mentees plus everything else that you're doing? How do you find that? Oh, they're my go-to place. I love talking to them and, you know, I love having people in my corner. When, it, when things are tough, I love that there's someone who's going to help me get off the ropes and there's also someone there that's going to quietly celebrate with me when I have my little wins as a CEO. <laughs> Fantastic. So how do we cu- encourage more people to embrace the idea of what a mentor could bring to their development? How do we encourage people to seek out mentors? I think the first thing is to understand you don't need to be at a certain level in your business or in your life to to have a mentor. And it's not just in business. You know, you can just sports mentors, it's health mentors. So to me, I'd like to see young people, even at school, have mentors that are, you know, perhaps five, six, seven years older than them on their own journeys and share their wisdom and experience. So I think there's sort of this great um, fallacy that you need to be at a certain level to ask someone to be a mentor or to engage a mentor. I think that's untrue. I think yesterday yesterday was the right time to look for one. Um, you don't have to be at a certain level of success either to seek a mentor because you're on a journey or pathway that and that is part of your success journey so I don't have to be at the top of the tree before I think I'm worthy or valid enough to have a mentor I think you can do it at the very start of any journey Um, and I think the third thing is um, having the confidence to take that first step and just go ahead and do it and know that it, you have to be vulnerable and you have to be honest with yourself and you have to be able to tell the truth about yourself in order to make it work. So removing the barriers of fear about forming a relationship with someone who could be a complete stranger but is there for the only reason um, and that is to help you succeed and have your back. So I'd say remove fear, build your confidence to initiate it and believe that the right time is yesterday to start and and on the flip how do we how do we encourage more people to actually be mentors to to others our mentors come from the most obscure places but they're all pretty much referred to us um once i launched the program i reached out to a, a very high caliber bunch of people within my network and ask them if they would be willing to be involved and to help women in business and to help women entrepreneurs and and guys in corporate as well. And the answer was yes. And as we've gone through the program, because it has been proven to be such a high impact and and a high quality program, we're having those mentors refer new mentors for us. Um, And also people that were perhaps didn't see themselves as mentor but have incredible experiences and knowledge have come forward to me and said, you know, do you think think I'd qualify? And I'm like, I look at their bio and I'm like, wow, you know, it's pretty incredible work you've done. And and it's about them feeling motivated to give back and, and pass forward that goodwill that they've, perhaps had in their own life from someone else. So generally speaking, um, the mentors are referred to us and that's through a really vast network of our community and practice that we've created over the last four years and, you know, having almost 60,000 women and supporters in our community across Australia with 
you know, great support from government and great support from academia and great support from industry means that the visibility of our program has got to a point where, where mentors really do want to become a part of it. So there's something I wanted to, to ask your view on that sort of bothers me a bit and it's, it's been playing out intermittently on the media a lot lately and it's this idea that there's a lot of senior men around that aren't prepared to uh, mentor women and I, I'm unsure of that. I mean, I, 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 it sort of bothers me that, that that's sort of the sentiment and it's sort of a, what's your view on that? Um, 40% of our mentors are men, so I don't have a strong view that I agree with that. I think it's, mm. I disagree with it. I think there's amazing men that really want to make a difference and they're definitely coming to us and, and putting themselves forward. Um, I'd like to understand whoever said that, where the statistic is behind it or where the data is to show it or is it just a personal experience? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something, again, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I'm not sure I buy it, but uh, it sort of bothered me when I, when I heard it a couple of times. So, well, we've worked on amazing men mentoring and, you know, we deeply appreciate them and deeply appreciate, um, you know, the women that do as well. But often, you know, we find often these men have daughters and they have a vested interest in the future of their own the daughters and their careers and it's e it's an easy decision for them to to be involved with an organization that supports women entrepreneurs and business leaders so you mentioned earlier that you've uh, your mentoring relationship with one of your mentors has, has has been 12 years do you have any views on how long the mentoring relationship should last um Yes and no. I mean, I think you know, we, we, our program is a 12-month program. I think you're just getting warmed up in that first 12 months. So we do have a lot of the mentees re-signing with a mentor um, in, and they move into a second year. I think it just really depends on if you think as a mentee you've exhausted the amount of knowledge that you can gain from that person or not. And that's completely... I think it's completely subjective really, isn't it, that, you know, my mentor of 12 years has had an enormous, enormous portfolio of businesses both locally and globally. So he and he's still running companies and doing amazing stuff. So his repertoire and his information, I don't think I could ever run out of it, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but then I think it's that decision that you make between the mentee and the mentor and, you know, the, some of our mentors have said, I think I've given them everything I can give them and we're in a really good place and it might be a good idea for that mentee to take on someone new next year. So it's, I think it's also about being a little bit honest with what, what you've given and what you're able to give in that relationship. Mm -hmm. So when I do these interviews, I'm always, I always ask this question because I'm amazed by the by the range of answers I get. Are there any leaders that you either look up to or that inspire you? And if so, why? Oh, wow. There's so many of them. Um, look, I would like to come back in my next life as a, um, qu a quantum physics and computer scientist. So <laughs> mine, <laughs> that's the nerd right in me. They always say be kind to nerds because one day you'll work for one. <laughs> um, Michelle Simmons, who was Australian of the Year last year, I've followed her career 
since she's been in Australia and she heads up quantum computing at the University of New South Wales and is absolutely a world authority on that and she's absolutely an incredible person, engaging speaker to listen to, very humble, very down to earth and extraordinarily intelligent. So from a person who's completely out of my realm in business, I would say Michelle Simmons. Um, I also look at leaders. Um, I find the most inspiring leaders are those ones that are put under the toughest circumstances and have the most amount of grace and intelligence to navigate through very difficult circumstances. And I think the New Zealand Prime Minister, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, is one of those people where I looked at what happened with the terrorists, the Australian terrorists that went into the mosques there and the way that she handled her, her the diplomacy of her country at a community level and as a, at a person-to-person level and then the policy changes that she made, she did it absolutely seamlessly with complete respect and a lot of class. And I look at a politician like that and go, wow, you know, that's someone who I'd like to see leading Australia. Yeah, I think that sentiment's echoed by a lot of people on, on social media. Why isn't, can't we just merge with New Zealand and she take over? Um, But I see great leaders all the time in business and it could be someone who, you know, a guy I met in a corporate client just yesterday who has a big head in the business, as in very high up the the flagpole, he wants to move the diversity and inclusion needle for that company and do it in a really authentic way and wants my help to do that. And I think that's a great leader. Like here's someone who's putting a stake in the ground who really wants to make a change and he's doing something about it, walking the talk. And so I I find great leadership qualities in a lot of people I meet Um, and a lot of people that are great leaders are not highly visible in the media either. So if people want to find out more about you and uh, everything that you do, is is it, particular website you want them to go to? Should they check you out on LinkedIn? What's the best way? Um, yes, so Job Capital is, you know, our main business for those people looking to seek business visas, 482 visas in Australia or engage employees on those visas. And that's jobcapital.com.au. Rare Birds, which we've mainly talked about, is inspiringrarebirds.com and there's a mentor section there that you can click through and have a look at how it works, becoming a mentee or a mentor in a corporate or entrepreneurial environment. And um, my education company, which we didn't get a chance to talk about, is startup.business and that's a program where we deliver entrepreneurial, the, the learning of the entrepreneurial mindset in school curriculum across Australia and in public and private schools. How long has that been, how long has that been, that curriculum being rolled out? That business started three years ago. Um, My previous business partner was Dr. Richard Seymour, who is the head of innovation entrepreneurship at Sydney University Business School. Unfortunately, um, Richard passed away almost two years ago um, at a very young age and very suddenly. So I continued the legacy of the work that we had started together. And we're now in partnership with an amazing organisation called AgriFutures Australia, who have been able to help us roll this program into regional rural schools right across Australia. 
and give the kids the program to enable them to solve wicked problems within the agricultural industry uh, and within their communities. So deeply, deeply satisfying work. And we also announced Brilliant Business Kids Day on a global level in November last year where we had all the kids from Australia come and pitch together for, um, to be recognised to see who was the best pitch across the country and, of course, had lots of businesses involved with that as well. So it's gaining some great momentum, um, very early days, but it's gaining, gaining the right momentum and, again, with the data and the research that we're doing, the output is pretty extraordinary from, you know, kids that didn't even know what an entrepreneur is now to kids who are starting to think about building their second business. Wow, that's pretty amazing that they can... Uh, Very cool. That. Yeah. It's really, really cool. It's like you look at the World Economic Forum list of skills required for millennials to navigate, you know, the world that they're living in today and what the workforce will be and those things like critical thinking and problem-solving skills and working in collaborative format and being customer service-centric. They're all skills that entrepreneurs have. So by teaching this mindset, I believe we're gearing kids of the future, whether they grow businesses or work for organisations, to take that mindset into, into companies as well as their own businesses. Mm. Yeah, big impact. It's massive. I can't wait to see where we're in 10 years' time. <laughs> So are there any last words on leadership and mentoring that you'd like to share with with the listeners, Jo? Yeah, I'd just like to say, as I said before, remove fear. Um, The right time to start to seek a mentor is yesterday. You are worthy of it. Um, You are valid and it's going to probably change the course of your life in some format or another. When it comes to leadership, to me, just show up, show up and be kind, show compassion and when the going gets really tough as a leader, talk to your mentor. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, on that note, thank you so much, Joe, for being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. All the best. My, my greatest pleasure. Thanks so much for having me and, and thanks for your time today. that wraps up episode 72 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast, another great business leader interview for you. I'd like to encourage you to head on over to the Synergen Group website and engage in the conversation with us. Tell us what you liked about this particular episode. Tell us who you'd like us to interview or tell us what sort of content you'd like us to deliver to. And if you are an iPhone user, please feel free, head on over to the Apple site, leave us a five-star review and comment. It does really help us build the profile of the podcast. In next week's episode, we have another author interview for you where I speak with Wendy Bourne, author of The Languages of Leadership, How to Use Your Words, Actions and Behaviours to Influence Your Team, Peers and Boss. It is another great author interview episode, so until then, we'd love to hear what you think and happy listening.